Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Today we are uh, in our second, really our third week, my second message, the third, third message in our series called Unconventional. And uh, the idea today, if you're brand new to our church or wondering why you should pay attention for the next 30 minutes or so, is uh, we believe that unconventional, it, what it means, we don't believe this is a fact, it means out of the ordinary. And I do think that we are living in a window of time that I would argue, or I would, actually I think a pretty easy argument to win, we are living in an unordinary window of time. <laughs> I think 2020, I'm hoping it's like a mullet that there's going to be a party at the back of this. <laughs> but right now we are, uh, we are in the middle of this thing. And so I am praying that we do get to the other side. But I, uh, we are in an unconventional window of history, and uh, we are living in an out-of-the-ordinary time. And I do believe that all of us would agree that there are some things that are happening right now in the world that need to change. No? I'm going to preach somewhere else today, okay? There are some things in the world that need to change. And I think that they'll continue to change. And uh, the world needs change. I, I actually believe that the only... But the greatest change that the world can experience is change that comes from God. God brings lasting change. He brings lasting fruit. And uh, today, I want to I wanna, uh, talk, two weeks ago, I talked to you guys about unconventional responses. We talked about how a pastor got arrested, was on death row, and instead of the, the church rallying, calling just, you know, senators and polit- political leaders or, or, or boycotting or, or whatever, the, the, the natural things that we would do today, the church didn't call anything except a prayer meeting. And they, I think that the early church knew something about prayer that today in North America we don't believe in, that we don't discover, that prayer actually has the power to change things. My thesis was people say we have to do more than prayer, uh, more than pray, and the answer is yes, but we especially have to pray, do more than praying the way that most Americans pray. Most Americans barely know how to pray for mac and cheese, come on, <laughs> know how to pray to put their kids to sleep, but they don't know how to actually take authority in the unseen realm. We believe in a God that still gives and still hears, as Ian Bounds said, that it's the mouth of men that moves the hands of God. And uh, we are a praying church, and uh, not only did we talk about that, but today I want to I jump into our, uh, my second message in this series, which I want to talk to you today about unconventional change. Unconventional change. How many would agree things need to change? We need some change in America? I think there's personal change that needs to happen. I think there's collective collaborative change. And I do believe that God is the greatest source of good change. And so today, I'm going to open up to Acts chapter 10. Something like, why should I pay attention? I want to tell you a story about a guy who was an Italian officer. He was a centurion in the military that his life was drastically changed in Acts chapter 10. Not only was he changed, but there was a guy named Peter who actually hung out with Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, for three and a half years. And after three and a half years of Jesus, this particular day, Ten years after the day of Pentecost, it changed Peter's life. Not only did it change Peter and the centurion Cornelius' life, it changed race relationships in the world. Acts chapter 10. What we're going to read today didn't just change the the race relationships. It changed the way that church operated. It actually changed the ability of who was allowed in and out of the church. It, It tore down the racial divides of us and them. And the last thing that it changed is it changed the world. Because, ladies and gentlemen, when, God's, when God moves in his church, the world is always impacted. And so I want to read about Acts chapter 10 today. It's the story of Cornelius. And by the way, 
if you're not a Jew today in the room, this is one of the coolest chapters of the Bible for all of us that are not Jews by birth, that God actually opened a door for those that did not grow up and were not born Jewish to experience the same God that the Jews knew. Are you with me today? Half the room is with me today. We'll get there. Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read 17 verses today, and uh, we're going to have a good time. Um, my hope would be is to read uh, some good verses that we can teach on, tell some stories, maybe make you laugh. Laughter does good like medicine? Who wants to take some meds today? Amen? I always joke that if I didn't go into the ministry, I probably would have tried to be a stand-up, uh, an average stand-up comedian. But God had a sense of humor calling me into the ministry. So we are going to have a good time today. Uh, if you get bored this morning, I just want you to know that you're boring. Uh, I'm not a boring preacher. And if you fall asleep today, you have narcolepsy. Just want to let you know that. You ready? Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. What was his name? Cornelius. Cornelius. It's fun to say. It's like saying Francisco. Yeah. No. A centurion who was called an Italian of the regiment. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God. Say it with me. Always. This guy liked to pray. About the ninth hour of the day, 3 p.m., he saw clearly in a vision during his fast an angel of God coming in, saying to him, Cornelius... He observed him, and he was afraid. He said, uh, what is it, Lord? So the angel said, your prayers and your alms. Notice that God doesn't just hear our prayers. He sees our generosity. Yeah. Kind of a crazy thought. Uh, your prayers and your alms have come up before God as a memorial. Now send men to Joppa. Say it with me, Joppa. Joppa. Sounds like a figure out of Star Wars. Joppa the Hut, right? <laughs> Joppa. Sent for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon the Tanner. Let's fast forward to verse 34. It says, and Peter, so we'll fa uh, let, me, let me just share what happened in those last verses we just skipped. Essentially, Peter would actually obey the directions of a, a few guys that were sent by Cornelius. He travels 30 miles south, ends up in Cornelius' living room. He says, what am I doing here? Peter says, and Cornelius says, well, I had, a, I had a prayer time, and in my prayer time, an angel showed up, and he told me to summon you, and so I did, and now you're here. Now what? And that's where we're going to pick up reading as Peter responds to Cornelius. Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace. Say with me, peace. Notice that the message of Jesus is not a, a message of war. It's not a message of condemnation. It is a message of what? Peace. Peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of everything. Yeah. And the word which you know, which was proclaimed throughout all of Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism of John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing what? Good. And healing. Not just doing good, but healing. Not just, come on, good works, but actually the power of God, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God was with him. We are all witnesses. Say it with me, witnesses. Of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem, whom they killed hanging on a tree, him God raised up on the third day, showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with Jesus after he came back from the dead. And he commanded us to preach. He told us not, come on. He commanded us to preach to the people, testify that, that it is he who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name. What name? Whoever believes in him will receive the forgiveness of their sins. 
So this is a five-point message that Peter shares, and this is what I want to turn your attention to. When he preaches this simple message, it says, as he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell. The word fell means to fill. The Holy Spirit filled Cornelius and all those who heard his words, and those that were, that were Jews believed that who believed were astonished as all the people came with Peter. And it says this because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on all of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Verse 47, Peter's like, well, if this happened to them, why shouldn't they be baptized? And they baptized them right then and there. They spent a few days with them, which was scandalous because in that, in that culture, Jews would not even eat with, with Gentiles, let alone stay the night at their house. And so we see that God, he brings down some big barriers. And everyone said, amen. amen. I want to talk to you guys today about change, about unconventional change. And the title of my message today is, is The Curious and the Convinced. The Curious and the Convinced. Are you ready to go? Let's have a good time today. Let's pray real fast. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be my favorite church in all of America and the whole world. I'm so grateful, Lord, for Orange County that you called us to a beautiful place. God, you know we would have gone anywhere, but the fact that you let us move somewhere that's beautiful, the people are nice and, and, unless they're driving, and just the fact that we're able to live in such a beautiful place with beautiful, amazing human beings, we're grateful, God. So, Lord, today would you meet us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Whether we are, whether we are curious or whether we are convinced, I pray that you'd meet us where we are. We pray you'd bless the Lakers in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. It's crazy how fast things are moving right now, isn't it? I don't know about you, but technology seems to be moving faster than the speed of light. You buy a laptop today, it's out of date tomorrow. It's crazy. Uh, I, I, I knew met a guy in Idaho who was actually incarcerated for 20 years. He's 22 years. He said, this was 10 years ago. He goes, man, when I got locked up, he said, people didn't have cell phones. They had pagers. He said, I got out of prison. He's like, the world has evolved so much in 20 years. And I started thinking, man, it's so true. Things have changed drastically. Our phones are getting skinnier and smarter, and the people are getting dumber and heavier. It's crazy. We see televisions getting thinner, brighter, bigger, and, and cars are getting smarter. I mean, we have cars like Teslas today. I shouldn't say we. I should say you have cars like Teslas today. <laughs> Clarify. It's amazing that cars are so smart. They download like our phones. That there's so many things that are getting smarter and smarter and more and more efficient, more and more effective. But there's certain things that just kind of boycott technology evolving. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Just certain things that are like, no, I, I want to stay the same forever. Like toasters. Can we all agree that the, the technicians of the toasters need to step up their game a little bit? They still can't make a piece of toast that's not burnt or not, not toasted at all. Just, just no, no technological advancements at all with toasters. Not only are toasters kind of the same as they've always been, how about blenders? So we can make cars that dry themselves, but we can't make a blender that doesn't do permanent damage to our hearing. Waking my neighbors up three doors down, blending things. We can't make an ironing board, right, that you open up that doesn't sound like a bunch of witches being boiled in oil. We can't do that? Really? We can't? This one, this is a personal deal that we're been, we've been navigating lately, is uh, how about smoke alarms? So we can send people to the moon, but we can't figure out a way to wire that thing so it doesn't know the difference between the glory of barbecue 
and your house burning down. Can you please know the difference? Because we've all been there. My, my fire alarm has been that annoying. Beep. Can we all agree that the batteries always go out never in the middle of the day? 3.35 in the morning. Beep. And you kind of go underneath the thing. You're trying to figure out where the beeping is coming from. They're like ventriloquist. Is that you or your brother upstairs? You know what I'm talking about? Where is that sound coming from? It's maddening. We had a, we had a beeper thing going off. The battery was, was dead. I was so irritated. And I'll be honest, when that thing does go off, when you're, when you're cooking or barbecuing, I don't care how sophisticated, how educated, I don't care how put together you are, every human being I've ever met will find the nearest piece of cloth. I don't care who you are. Everybody does it. We can't make smoke alarms better. I, it's Maddie. Beep. And I'll, I'll be honest, man, this thing, we, we, the last month and a half, I just figured it out. I thought it was, I, I opened up my smoke alarm. By the way, you have to get on a ladder that's 37 feet tall. You want the Discovery Channel to be there because your life's in peril, right? You're kind of hanging in the balance. And I'm looking at this smoke alarm. This is a true story. It was beeping for a month and a half. It was, and it would like stop beeping for like a day and then 345 in the morning. Beep. And listen, I'm going somewhere with this. I really felt like I was praying this week. And I'm like, man, it's like when that thing beeped, I knew that something had to change. I was going to lose my mind. So I climbed up there. I'm looking. I'm curious. I'm looking all over. And I couldn't find I undid it. It was hardwired in my house. I'm like, there's a problem with my circuit breakers. Long story, shorter, still pretty long apparently, is I ended up finding that there was like a secret little Jack Bauer, James Bond compartment. On the side of it, it opened up, and there was a little battery slot, and I changed it. But I was just so perturbed that this beeping, beep, beep, and I just knew that something had to change. And I started thinking about, you know, I was praying this week, and I feel like, if we're being honest, it's like you go on social media, you watch the news, and even some of you and your families right now, you just feel like this annoying, pestering, beep. It's like, I'm tired of, can we just, can we all agree there's some things that are, some noises, there's some sounds, it's like, you wake up every morning, it's like, who are we going to watch fight on the internet today? Who's upset at who today? Who's trying to expose somebody today? It's like the world is obsessed with exposing. And I do believe there's some darkness that needs to be exposed. Can I get an amen? But I also want to remind you as believers that love covers a multitude of mistakes. There's like this weird tension, and so there's this crazy divide that there's a, there was just this beat going on and on and on, and I, I was so, so eager to figure out what was causing it, and I finally did, and I was reading through Acts 10, and it was like a story that God was speaking. Really, I feel like it was a word for our church in the season that we're in, is that there was two types of people that experienced this dynamic change. I believe that change comes when we get curious about the right things, and I believe that God kind of change comes when we get convinced about the right things. Can you attract me a little bit today? So, for instance, there's two, two demographics I'm talking to online and in person today. Some of you are curious, and others in the room are convinced. And I was thinking about how God always brought about change when people were either curious for the right things, or they were convinced about the right things. Let me show you this a little bit today. Is It says that Cornelius, there was three things that this guy, he was curious. Curious means eager to learn or to know about. He was really eager. Now, I want to remind you that Cornelius was not a proselyte. He didn't get circumcised. He believed in Judaism, 
but he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. He never was discipled by John or by Jesus. This guy, he was kind of like some of the people you guys know, never really had an encounter with God, but had a deep kind of honor and respect for God. You ever met someone like that? It's like, you're the nicest, most moral person I've ever met that doesn't know Jesus. You ever met someone like that? This is Cornelius. Cornelius feared God. And I actually believe this, that if we're going to be, some of you today, you're like, Mark, how do we see change happen? Because some of you right now, there's a beat going on in your marriage. There's There's a sound right now going on in your family. Some of you, you made tons of money or you've gotten to the job you wanted or you married the girl or the guy you wanted to marry. But there's still like this internal dissatisfaction. And it's almost an annoying beep. How do you get that thing to go off? And I really, I was studying through this and I felt like the Lord just said, Mark, there's, there's three things that Cornelius was curious about that I actually believe sets us up for an encounter with God that changes us. I do believe that God is in the business of encountering people. And I want to just say this on the record, is that I think that the world does not, don't ever settle for living a life with God without believing that he can encounter you. So many people are just living like, well, I'm just going to do good works, and I'm just going to read my Bible, and I'm going to go to church. But I think God only encounters pastors. I think he only likes those, like, preachers or those, like, prophetic people. I think, I think it's those superhuman believers that wear WWJD bracelets and listen to DC talk. Come on. Three people in here. God bless you. I, uh, I really do. Uh, I'm of the persuasion that there was a curiosity with Cornelius and I think there's three things. If you're here and you're like, Mark, how do I set myself up for in a moment with God that can actually impact my life, change my future for the better? Get, re- get rid of that annoying beep. Number one, it says this, that Cornelius, he goes, God, if you are real, I'm going to revere you and I'm going to fear you. And today, I believe many people have never had an encounter with God because they just never had a respect that he could be there. I, I really, I, fundamentally, on, on a deep level, I, I love this, A.W. Tozer said it this way, the greatness of God arouses fear within us, but it's his goodness that encourages us not to be afraid. To fear and not be afraid is the paradox of faith. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you supposed to be scared of God? No, I, I think that we, there is a respect that God is far bigger than you think he is. It's always funny when 32-year-olds or 40-year-olds or 20, 20 well, let's be honest, 16-year-olds, they push their glasses back and they say, I figured God out. No, preacher, don't tell me that God does miracles. I already studied that he doesn't do that anymore. You think that in 17, 25 years, you have figured out the God that has always been. You really think that you're, because you got a degree that says you went to school for 18 years, and you're average? 22 years, a little bit above average? Maybe you went to school for 27 years, and you're like, yeah, I got a PhD in front of my name. I want to encourage you that God has always been. And uh, there is something about the magnitude of God. Listen, eternity should kind of stress your brain out. It should fry your circuits. The Bible says that eternity was not placed in our heads. It was placed in our hearts. And we serve a God that is eternal. I want to remind you that in eternity, we'll never discover the depths of God. And I love this. That, that warrants a fear. And the word fear, it literally means awe, and it means reverence. And I believe if you want to have a genuine face-to-face encounter with God, it's rooted in opening up your heart and saying, God, if you are there, I revere you and I honor you. Believe that I didn't come from monkeys because if, if I did, why are monkeys still on the earth? Think about that one later. That was a joke. Tough crowd. Number two is not only did this curious guy, he, he had a reverence for God. He made a decision that, you know what, my life, life is either about taking 
Our life is about giving. And I love the fact, one scholar wrote it this way. He said that God, God's kingdom is not far from those that love humanity. And if you'll actually open up your life and say, you know what, I can live two ways. I can consume and I can take or I actually can produce and I can give. And I actually believe that one of the reasons why God revealed himself to Cornelius in such a powerful way is because Cornelius was not a taker. He was a giver. And it goes on. The third thing that this curious guy did to remove the beep, the beeping, is not only did he fear and revere God, that he gave generously to people, but he actually prayed constantly. You ever thought about this? This guy was praying before Hillsong, right? He was trying to pray before Bethel Music. There was no Jesus culture. There was no Ocean's worship team. This guy didn't even have a Gideon's Bible. Come on. This guy is struggling. He did not have a personal knowledge of God. He wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, but he just had a dedicated, devout heart. I'm going to just go out on a limb here and just guess, speculate, that he prayed some dry prayers. He prayed some prayers that make some of us look really spiritual. I can almost envision this guy rallying his 80 to 100 troops saying, guys, we're going to pray. And by the way, you would pray too if you were in the military back then. Because it was a 20-year commitment from 17 to 37, and only 50% of people would live through that 20 years. So you you take even the greatest atheist, and you'd see some great believers of God. So he grabbed these guys. Are you with me today still? So he starts praying with them. Can you imagine these dry, lifeless, stale prayers? And I want to remind you today that you feel like you've ever prayed a dry, you ever feel like you've prayed a, a kind of a worthless, lifeless prayer. I want to remind you that God responds to those prayers. He actually sent an angel to a guy that just prayed some lifeless prayer. He said, he said, hey, Cornelius, God has heard those stale, sour prayers. He saw your generosity. They came up before God as a memorial. And I want you to know this, my friend, that God is responding to you. He gave him instructions to actually seek after a guy named Peter. Peter was in Joppa. Say it with me, Joppa. Joppa. Kind of a fun, fun little Bible trivia fact that Joppa was the same place Ironically, that Jonah in Jonah 1.3 began to flee from the call of God to preach to the Ninevites who were Gentiles. That God would actually come on the scene in Acts chapter 10 and say, hey, you know what Jonah started with Nineveh? I want to finish that under the new covenant. I actually want to not only go to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, Peter, I don't, I'm not going to just give you the keys of the kingdom to unlock the Jews in Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to just give you the keys of the kingdom in Acts chapter 8 and release my Holy Spirit to the Samaritans. I'm actually in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom to unlock the power of Jesus' spirit to the non-Jews and to the non-Samaritans, to the Gentiles. And so we see here that comes on the scene, and and, and Cornelius, is he's curious. And I want to just encourage you today, if you've never had an encounter with God, I believe encounters begin when you get curious. Something about Moses, Exodus chapter 3, remember the story? He was walking and he saw a bush that was on fire but was not consumed. And he said to himself, he had an internal conversation, I will now turn aside to see this great sight why the bush burns but it is not on fire. I want you to know that that is a type and a shadow of what believers are supposed to be today. That we actually burn with a fire and a passion for God but we do not burn out. Are you with me today? I feel like he turned aside, and it was that holy curiosity that God said, I'm going to speak to this guy. Moses, Moses, double vocative, take off your shoes, for the place that you're standing is holy. And I love the fact that God, out of a holy curiosity, said, son, 
You are, because listen, servants would be barefoot, sons would wear shoes. And I believe that when you have a real encounter with God, even though you know your identity is a son and a daughter of God, you would rather choose to be his servant than just be his son. I want to listen. I know I am your son. I am your daughter. But it is my great delight to be your servant the rest of my life. Take your shoes off. And there was something powerful that happened inside of Cornelius when he made a decision that I'm going to fear him, I'm going to give my life, and I'm going to pray consistently. And I want you to see the flip side of it because throughout history, God has always responded to people like Peter that boldly were convinced. And I want to warn you that I'm going to give you five things that Peter was convinced of that I am convinced of. And here's the crazy part. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Doesn't matter the level of your education. Doesn't matter how many zeros are in your checking account. When you are convinced of these five truths, I want to warn you that the same power that broke out in Galilee still breaks out today. The Bible was written not to tell us what God has done, but it was actually written to tell us what God will do. When we are convinced of what they were convinced of. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I settled down. I'm fired up right now. I, I, I feel it is that there's something so powerful that Peter was convinced, number one, Five things that he shares in Acts chapter 10. He says, Cornelius, I want to let you know, number one, that Jesus, first and foremost, I am convinced that Jesus is evidence that God loves the world. You ever been to a church and they preach a message that makes you think that God was so angry and so upset that he had to pacify him with Jesus? That is not the, that is not the message of any of our church fathers. They preached a God that so loved the church. The Christians, the Republicans, the Democrats, what does it say? God, so what? He loved the world. And I was thinking about this, that, man, it's, it's easy to love people that look like us, talk like us, vote like us. It's harder sometimes to love the other side. And I love this because it comes on the scene, and Peter was convinced that Jesus is the evidence, that, that Jesus is the evidence that God is in love with humanity. Number one. Number two, I'm convinced, Cornelius, paraphrasing his, his message here, I'm, not, I'm convinced that Jesus, he had and he still has, current tense, the power to actually evict sorrow, sickness, pain, and darkness in the world. Jesus, listen to me today. I love what, I love what Chris Estrada said last week. He said, Reinhard Bonnke told him this, that we get the version of Jesus that we preach. And when we preach a Jesus that's still weak, that only can forgive us of our sins, he can get you to heaven. He just can't get heaven into you. Then you'll get that Jesus. Well, miracles ended with the apostles. Show me that verse. Well, I'm a dispensationalist. Pretty much everything impossible I rule out of my faith. Then what are you believing for? And if, if, you're, if your faith in God, your theology requires zero belief, let me ask you a question. Can you really please God? Because the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six 6, that for, for God is pleased by those that come to him with faith. It says it is impossible to please God without what? Faith. What is faith? Faith, you don't need it for what you have. What you have, it's not faith, it's that, that's hope. I, I hope this happens. Faith is a substance of things that you don't have yet. Faith is when you go, look, I, I, I have cancer, and without God, I'll probably die. But I believe that God can. Faith is like Acts chapter 9 when Tabitha dies. And they're like, hey, this guy Peter is close to town. He's in, he's in Lida. Let's, let's call him over to Joppa. And he comes to Joppa, and he actually goes in. He clears everyone out of the room that did not have faith. Did you know that faith is contagious? And did you know that doubt is contagious? 
Let me say it another way. Do you know that faith comes by hearing? But did you know that fear comes by hearing? They are both airborne qualities. And that's why some people are so fearful because they are consuming fear from people that are worried and scared and petrified. And yet other people are fearless because they've been sucking and they've been chewing and they've been, they've been devouring faith. Where does faith come from? It comes from the presence of God. Confidence comes from the presence of God. I, I want to remind you that throughout history, believers have risked their lives to go after God. So I'm fired up. I want you to know today that there's something that Peter tells us is that Jesus is the evidence of God's love. And listen, Jesus today, like he did 2,000 years ago, he still has the power to evict darkness. Some of you have some stuff in your family lines that need to be broken off. There are some giants that your mom and dad did not kill that God wants you to kill so you don't pass the battle on to your children. There are some vices. There are some, are you hearing me today? There, there are some things that Jesus, listen, he didn't just die to get you to heaven. He died to get the virtue of heaven into his kids. I, I believe it, 100%. Well, Mark, my dad was an alcoholic. My dad was a cheater. My dad was a liar. My dad was a stealer. Well, guess what? Your heavenly father wasn't. You ever wonder why Jesus said in John chapter 3, how, Nicodemus uh, asked, how, how, do you, how do you come into this relationship with God? He says, you have to be born. Why would he use this vernacular, born again? It's kind of an evocative picture, right? He's like, do I crawl in it? He's like, no, that's nasty. Be quiet. Stop that. He said, no, no. The point is, is that you're born under a new bloodline. You have access to a higher power. Faith engrafts us, according to Paul, into the family of a new father. That we have access to a new bloodline. That my natural father might have been a criminal, but my heavenly father is not a criminal. My natural father might have been a stealer and a liar or a cheater. Listen, but my heavenly father is very righteous. That's better than your response. That's all right. I'll keep going. I forgive you. Listen, Peter was convinced that Jesus was the evidence that he had power to evict sorrow, sickness, pain, and darkness. And number three, he was convinced that Jesus, this is crazy, old school, that he died and he came back to life. Now, before you tune me out, because you're like, oh, my gosh, isn't this like an Easter message? I want to remind you that uh, Christianity was not started by a bunch of Ivy League scholars and theologians. It wasn't some like, we're going to get all the like media influencers and they're going to all do a post simultaneously, hashtag fire festival. And um, we're going to start a new world religion called Christianity. Christianity did not start with the intelligent. It started with the simple. And it didn't, it didn't originate in Rome, which was the political power of that day and age. Because that would be, that'd be too conventional. And God is not an, uncon he's an unconventional God. Yeah. Christianity did not start in Rome where the political power was. It did not originate in Athens where the philosophical capital was. And it didn't even start in Alexandria where the, where the, where the, where the intellectual properties, were the wisest, most intelligent, sophisticated human beings. It actually started in Bethlehem, wow. the house of bread. Jesus didn't come on Wall Street, didn't show up on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He was born in a barn. Come on, down by the river. I fundamentally, I feel like someone needs to hear this today, that God came back. He came back from the dead. And the, the power, where does Jesus show up? Where does people get healed? People get healed when the environment remembers this one, when one truth, is that we serve a God that was buried. Three days after his burial, he actually came back to life. The Bible says he led captivity captive. 
You know what's crazy in the ancient world? Are you still with me today? In the ancient world, this is true, that uh, when a, because they didn't, have, they didn't have radio and TV and social media, many times when Alexander the Great and others would go conquer new lands, many times they would have victory months, sometimes even years, before the home country knew they were victorious. And you know what they would do is they'd actually send people back before the military came home, announcing heralds that would announce and proclaim that we have won the victory. Your life looks the same right now. It feels the same right now. But I want you to know in about two or three months, you're going to see your military come back. But the victory has already been won. That is the message of Christianity. It might look the same, feel the same, but mark my words, the victory has already been won. He died. He came back to life. And this resurrection, listen, this is what he said, point four, is convinced people bring change to the world when they actually realize that the same resurrection that changed the early followers has the same power to change us today. Let me invite you into this. Guess what? The man can come up here. I'm almost finished. That the message of the resurrection of Jesus, listen, it's not just for the eyewitnesses 2,000 years ago. You and I are still eyewitnesses today. Let me say it this way. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I did not physically see him come out of the grave. But I have a per- firsthand, I am an eyewitness of his resurrection power that healed my heart, that liberated my mind, that brought me out of the miry clay. There is something that Jesus has done for me that has been personal. I'm a personal witness of his firsthand resurrection power. And that's what Peter said. He goes, we are witnesses. You know, it talks about in the, in the New Testament, Peter says that actually not only did, did Cephas himself and said that 500 people witnessed Jesus for 40 days. We ate with him. Now, I want to remind you, some of you are like, Mark, Christianity must have been so popular, super trendy back in the day. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a Christian and get more followers. Back in those days, if you stood for Jesus, uh, all but, I think, 11 for sure, maybe 12 of the early, early disciples and apostles, they were all martyred. Some were thrown in the lions like Gladiator, the movie. Yeah, it happened. Some of our fathers said, you deny your faith in Jesus or you're going to be fed to lions. And it happened. Others, like John, were thrown into boiling oil saying, deny Jesus or you will be boiled in oil. Peter didn't even have the luxury of being crucified right side up. He said, please do not crucify me right side up. I'm not worthy to die the same way Jesus was died. That I want to be crucified upside down. And throughout history, history tells the story of the early followers that for some reason were not scared to die. And I would just suggest to you today, even if you're an atheist, let me tell you why we should not be scared to die. Because these guys faced persecution to death, but they did not deny their faith. And I'll tell you why. It's because they didn't die for a lie. They died for a truth. Let me show you. Let me show you. They saw Jesus get out of the grave. They ate with him. They, they, come on, they were eating fish. None of that vegan stuff. Come on, somebody. They were eating fish. Come on. Some omega-3s on the beach. He was eating, right? If you love animals so much, stop eating their food. Come on, somebody. Kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Listen, there is a, there is a, a reality. I'm sitting, I'm eating, I'm talking with Jesus after he got out of the grave. You know what they believe? You know they're willing to die? Because they believe that if he could rise from the dead, they could rise from the dead. That's where faith, that's where faith was rooted. 
resurrection, his resurrection has changed my life. You know what changes the world? People that are convinced that his resurrection, even though it was 2,000 years ago, has the power to change my life today. Look at me today. If you can look up at me, I, I want to promise you that I don't care if you're 90 in this room or you're 19, his resurrection still has power today. What happened a long time ago? Well, sometimes victory happened a long time ago, but we weren't aware of it till today. Some of these villagers woke up on a normal day, thought it was a normal day, and they had a herald come into their town saying, hey, guess what? You know your greatest enemy? You know the Romans? You know, you know the Assyrians? You know the Amalekites, the Jubasites, the, the, the Amorites, the Cellulites? You know all those people? We have the victory over the ites. And it doesn't look like it yet, but I promise you, we have victory. And that's what faith is. Faith goes, man, I still feel like a loser. I still feel insecure. I still feel like a failure. I have good news for you. The resurrection reminds us that we're still eyewitnesses, that even though we might not see it yet, we still have the victory. And the fifth thing that we're convinced of is that Jesus alone, this is what Peter said, Jesus alone offers forgiveness of sins. And Jesus alone offers us a relationship with God. Mark my words, we're not here to be religious today. Religion is driven by fear, and Christianity is led by passionate relationship. We are not fearful. I gotta obey, I gotta live do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. I don't live every day going, what does my wife want me to do? What does my wife want me not to do? That's do's and don'ts. You know how I live every day with Rochelle? In love. You know what determines what I do and don't do? My love for my wife. She doesn't wake up every day, Mark, don't do this, don't do that, don't say this, don't go there, don't talk to them. That, listen, we're not in that, we're in love. We're not in law, we're in love. And many people today in the church, they're in law, but they're not in love. I want to remind you, church, that as God's people, not only do we believe, like Peter, that God is a God that actually is the evidence, Jesus is the evidence of God's love, that he has power today. Someone say today. You need to remind yourself that today. Isn't it funny that we have no problem believing for God to do something one day? Someday? I'll stop. I'll stop doing it in the, one of these days. We have no problem. How many of you can admit you've seen God move in the past? He was there. I should have died. So why is it that, that it's so easy to believe for yesterday and even to have some sort of belief for the future? But notice this, that faith does not live in the past or in the future. It lives in the... Hebrews 11, what does it say? Now faith was. Now faith will be. What does it say? Faith? Where's my Christians at? Faith? I want to remind you that faith is not past or future. It's present. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.